join us this week on the Run Beyond podcast as we talk with Grayson Murphy. Grayson is one of the most inspirational runners I know. She breaks all sorts of stereotypes and generalizations. As a sophomore walk-on, she became a five-time Division I All-American. She's an engineer that is working on her Sustainable Environmental Engineer Master's degree. And at 25 years old, she's a pro track and road runner that has run times such as 54 minutes in a 10 mile at the Cherry Blossom 10 mile, a 32.28 in the 10K, yet still runs on the trails and in the mountains. In 2019, she was the world mountain running champion. Extremely inspirational to me is that Grayson speaks out about mental health. She has a term that's called a brain sprain, which we will talk about a lot in the podcast and how that affects our running lives and our real life. So join us this week on the Run Beyond podcast for one of the most exciting runners I know about. I hope you enjoy. Jason, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Back from Moab and smell like a campfire, but uh, really super excited to, to talk to, to Grayson today. Yes, this is going to be a lot of fun. Thanks for joining us today, Grayson. How are things in Bozeman? Very good. A little cold and blustery this morning on the track, but kind of par for the course in Montana, so can't okay. complain. <laughs> what was the track workout today? Um, it was mostly a speed workout because I'm racing the U.S. Mile Championships next week. Um, so it was two miles at about threshold to get a little tired and then eight by 200 at 30 seconds and uh eight or four by 80 meters pretty much all out as fast as i could go nice what's that transition like going from 15k training down to mile training <laughs> um it, it's a little more intuitive than you'd think actually because i think the 15k is about your threshold pace, right? Because it's about an hour, um, the pace you can hold for an hour. So that's like your base phase. So it kind of fits perfectly in early. And then you start sharpening up for faster stuff when you drop down. So it fit in pretty good this year, actually, with like how track and um, how the season is kind of playing out. What is your season right now? What are you kind of after with all of this? Um... Well, so it started with a 5K in February in Texas. It was like uh, the trial of miles. They've been trying to give more. Typically, there's not track meets outdoors in February, but because there haven't been races, they're trying to put more out. And then 15K was the second race of the season, kind of wrapping up base phase. And then now we're into specific stuff for Olympic trials at the end of June. What are you trying to qualify for? Um, hopefully a steeplechase, maybe also 5K. We'll see. I need to get one time, and then if I want to get another, we can try and get that too, but steeple will come first. Is steeple your favorite event, would you say, for, for track? Um, it depends on the season. I got pretty sick of it in college, actually, but <laughs> after being away from it now for two years, I definitely miss it. But I also love the 10K and the 5K. They just, they're different, so different. So they're kind of like apples and oranges to compare. But I think right now I definitely am excited for Steeple the most. Nice, 
Nice. It seems like both your background as being a soccer player and then also your ability to, to crush the trails and the mountains, you know, steeplechase kind of fits in there as well. And I, I know, you know, running the steeplechase in college as well, I, I feel like the people that could actually have a little bit of agility and, and, and uh, ability to, to negotiate mm-hmm. terrain and, and have that kind of strength and power oftentimes would, would be able to, you know, if you're a good steeplechaser, then you, you might be a good trail runner and, and then vice versa. I, I think that that's interesting. Yeah. yeah. There's so many, so you and me, and then Joe Gray ran steeple in college and then so did Max King. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it is definitely kind of a, um, pre-rec, not a pre-rec, but an indicator. If you're good at steeple, you'll probably be good at trail running. <laughs> I agree. I agree for sure. I remember there's some guys that just could crush the 10K and or 5K and they would go run the steeple and just hurt themselves and just like, you know, just full iron cross <laughs> oh, no. into the water. And <laughs> you, you know the move. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the, actually, the MSU pit, too, is so deep that I don't think they want people using it anymore because it's so deep compared to, like, normal steeple pits. <laughs> wow. So it's like an extra, like, you have to be a badass at, uh, at jumping yeah. and landing hard. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Mm-hmm. So, you know, talking about your roots, you know, going and, and starting college and, and playing soccer and then transitioning over to, to Santa Clara and running and then University of Utah. How did that happen? What, what, were, the, what were the motivation? What was going on in your, your head and how, how did that come to fruition? Well, I grew up playing soccer and that was kind of my goal all of high school is I want to play college soccer. I didn't really play any other sports. So that was definitely like my dream thing and everything I was shooting for. But then I got to play college soccer and it wasn't really what I wanted it to be and had hoped and dreamed that it would be. And I realized too, I just was kind of over. The sport had kind of lost its spark for me. It wasn't very fun anymore. So I transferred schools really for engineering. It wasn't for sports at all. So I got to Santa Clara and then when I got there, I was like, oh, well, I want friends, but I don't really want to be in a sorority. Um, so I guess I'll try and like join a sports team because I really had no other frame of reference for making friends. I played sports my whole life, but I knew I couldn't walk on to just any team. Like I figured, oh, well, running, I ran on the soccer field. That's probably the only feasible D1 sport I can try and like walk on to. So, yeah, the coaches were really nice. It's a pretty small mid-major school for D1. So they, they're they like, we, we're not that good. Like, you can just come on the team and train and just try your best. And so it kind of all, yeah, started there. And then it blossomed. I really, after two years there, had qualified for regionals in two events. And so first round of NCAAs and had gone from basically the worst one on the team to the best. And I realizing I really liked it and I was pretty good at it and I wanted to get a scholarship for it because I figured that was a good opportunity looking forward um so that's when I started looking to transfer for my final two years and I ended up at Utah because it was going home for me so I figured it's kind of calculated risk that at least if the running thing didn't turn out well I was at home and I was in a familiar city, so it's kind of like mitigating 
some variables so it wasn't all super new. Yeah, and then at Utah, had an awesome time, and my coach there really set me up well for competing post-collegiately because I, when I got there, I told him my goal is to run professionally. Um, I need you to get me there, and I think he did a great job of making sure like I had a lifetime or lifespan in the sport after college because I don't know that all college coaches do that um <laughs> so there's never pressure to like over race and over train in college which I'm really grateful for and he's actually still coaching me now so uh yeah it was a pretty good transition and it's been kind of like the rest is history from that first day at Santa Clara <laughs> Yeah, that's a that's an awesome story, and and you know having experienced running in college, and I I walked on to to Montana State University after playing soccer at private schools in high school, and going to go to University of Portland to play, and I burned out, and I know that you know yeah. jumping into the running, that like you said, collegiate sports and even Olympic sports, oftentimes for endurance, have a, you know, you're going to either make it or you're going to die. And, you know, you know, back then, <laughs> and University of Oregon, and in a lot of those programs, like everybody flocked to it. And, you know, they would just start out with this big group of people that are fantastically amazing and had lots mm-hmm. of, lots of talent and had a lot of coaching, you know, that was sustainable, potentially going through high school, and then you got mm-hmm. to college, and then you just got, you know, you every practice was a, a competition. And, you know, that's, that's how I ran. Yep. And that's, you know, that was my, my downfall, uh, you know, trying to run with all Americans and uh, being a guy that's ran for maybe a year and just, you know, having the coach say, Hey, <laughs> yeah. you'll either make it and be one of those guys that, you know, makes it to nationals or, you know, you'll be, you know, broken. And so I, I would make it through cross country and then die during mm-hmm. indoor and then halfway through, you know, outdoor, I would kind of almost mm-hmm. get back. And I think that that's really important and amazing that you had that opportunity to find a coach that could take you with without all of that experience and, you know, being almost brand new to running yeah. and be able to bring you to a sustainable place and in a sustainable way that could set you up to be a pro. Because as you know, so many collegiate athletes that are badass, that, that are all American or go to nationals, you know, they get out of college and, you know, most of them are either burnt out or injured or just don't have that motivation. And, uh, you know, that, that's something that I think is, mm-hmm. I hope is changing. And, and I'm, I'm happy to hear that you found a path and a coach that, that, that does support that. Yeah, I've been really lucky and grateful. <laughs> what, what's what's his secret? How, how does how does he get you there? <laughs> I think it's he err err on the side of caution every time. So we ran low mileage and it was quality miles, but we weren't trying to overdo it. And I think it was pretty awesome to see. Like I ran. I got eighth place at NCAA cross country my senior year running maybe 60 miles a week against girls that like on a Colorado high mileage program were running like close to a hundred miles a week, some of them. So I think it was cool to see you can do the same thing if you're smart about it and just really like get in quality over quantity. 
And then he also too really um, preached listening to your body. So I felt like I had a lot of say in like, oh, this workout doesn't feel good today. Can we push it back a day? Or I think I need this, or I think I just need to have an off day today or a cross train day. So that has been really helpful too. And something I've continued to do as a professional, uh, not so much when I was on NAZ Elite because I was a little more forced, uh, kind of not in my control, but ever since I left and have had more control over my training, I think that's something I do pretty frequently is like take a day if I need it or just switch things around and not be scared to change things. He texted me the other day. I think the quote was like, um, flexibility is the name of the game. So just like learning how you can get everything accomplished while like juggling a bunch of different variables at once, not sticking to a strict plan that ignores important things. That's so important. Jason and I have preached that on, on this podcast, talking about kind of coaching philosophy, how we train, how we try to work with athletes. We spent an hour last week talking to uh, Marco Altini, who's the founder of HRV4 Training, about using heart rate variability and different sort of modern technologies to understand your total stress and to make decisions in real time about, you know, do I do this workout today or do I push mm-hmm. it? And we were, we were trying to kind of tease out that idea of, you know, there's listening to your body and, and we're always walking this fine line. What are some things we can right. bring to the table to help us understand like which side of that line we're on? Mm-hmm. And there's a, always that challenge of training in a team, which, you know, I, so I've trained with an advanced marathon group here in Austin for the past five years or so. And every Tuesday and Thursday we have workouts and there, there are days when I wake up and, and I think I really should just go back to sleep today and, and push yeah. this another day. It leaves me on my own to, to do the work. And, the, and so I, I find that I generally drift toward training on my own so that I can make decisions mm-hmm. about how my body is responding and recovering from all of the stress. And I think, you know, being a, a, a business owner, being a father, being a husband, being a homeowner, I have all this other stress in my life too that ebbs and flows. Mm-hmm. And and so anyway, the flexibility is key. I think that is mm-hmm. almost the golden rule now if you're paying yeah. attention to what's going on. Definitely. Yeah, the old school of, you know, just having the synergy of the team and everybody is just pushing and, you know, you show up, no pain, no gain, kind of, old school, uh, you know, it, it just, it just sucks. And, 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 you know, there, there is so much benefit having yeah. <laughs> like the community and having training partners and having a team, but, you know, you have to have a leader, uh, as a coach that can really, you know, make an impression on the athletes that, you know, feedback, perceived effort, uh, you know, how your body's doing, heart rate variability or just you know just just full spectrum life and and understanding how to balance all that i think that that is Mm -hmm. i i sure wish uh, i had that back in college so but i have it now so that's good (laughs) i'm glad you have it now yeah yeah finally (laughs) and you still have a long road ahead of you that's great yeah yeah 
So, so Grayson, I, I think one of the, the things that really blows me away about you as an athlete is that, you know, back when I got into ultra and trail, you know, actually backing up before I got into ultra and trail, I, I was, I was on the road and, and running, you know, road stuff. And, and I, I looked at the ultra world as that's something that's a place that's an activity that is a passion. Um, you know, going to school in Bozeman, you know, running out on, um, you know, in, in, in the Bridgers and, and, and Cottonwood and all the different places. We love to train there. We, we, I, I, lo- I fell in love with the trail there, but I looked over at Ultra and Trail and I was like, here's a whole mm-hmm. bunch of old guys like my age now that are really weird, yeah. that go out there and just like walk around and power <laughs> hike. And, you know, back then, like, you know, they were like really into booze and, and it was just like, I think I'll wait till I'm in that category. And I want to, I want, I want a sport that's competitive and I want to like, you know, I had that, it was a bit egocentric, but like, you know, I wanted to run with the best and, and I wanted to, mm-hmm. you know, go to the Olympic trials or, or whatever, you know, those aspirations. But, um, you know, as the sport yeah. came and, you know, Jeff Rose and Tony Krupichka and, and, you know, Skaggs and all these guys, all of a sudden, and then the North Face with with ten thousand dollars for first in San Francisco, I was like, okay, all right, it's here, it's arrived. And you know, people like uh, <laughs> like Sage and you know, you know, eventually Jim or you know, even myself started to come into the sport. But you are at your prime right now, and you know, you're crushing and being you know, being top ten in all these different events and, and, and qualifying for you know the Olympics, hopefully, and and you know, doing that when you're, you know, 24, 25, but also, you know, having pursuits in the trail at the same time and, and, and getting into that. I, I think that's really amazing opposed to when you get older or, you know, it, you know, like, like a lot of, a lot of the athletes that have that, that have a lot of success in trail ultra right now um, or just trail in general. So I, I think that's, that's mm-hmm. neat. And I just want to see what your motivation is and, and how you balance that. Tell us about that. I think, well, I definitely had similar thoughts about trail too, going before I started trail stuff. And I think that the road world definitely has a view on trail that it's where you go when you're old or where you go if you're too slow to make it on the roads or the track. And that's still even something I've seen people say about me, which I think is silly because... I don't know. I don't think they're mutually exclusive. And I think I've proven that you don't get that slow or you don't have to be slow. Um, I started the first trail race I did was just, I was kind of, it was right when I moved from Flagstaff and had just left um, the team there. And I was just kind of in a weird spot with running and uh, didn't really enjoy the road and the track stuff, I think as a product of just the training environment there. And it just wasn't a good fit for me. So I kind of had a bad taste in my mouth with it. And I had a lot of trail runner friends and I really love camping. Like that's, I think maybe my favorite activity, especially in my lab. And I think I just was like, well, I have all these friends doing it. So I must like it if they like it because we have similar interests and they seem really cool. And I'm not afraid of like falling. I think 
like I do steeple, so it can't be that bad. <laughs> so I just signed up for a third series race in Salt Lake on my birthday and figured this will be a fun birthday present to myself and I'll just give it a go and see what happens. And I ended up getting second to Morgan. Yeah, Morgan Aratola. And I was like, wow, I had no idea who these people were at the time. I didn't know who Morgan was. Um, but I just had a blast the whole time. Um, there was like a lot of glissading because it was early or late June, but there's still a lot of snow on the Cirque and it was, the views are incredible. And I just thought, wow, this is the coolest sport. I have to keep doing it. So that fall, I just kept doing it and eventually ended up at the world championships and had a blast there. And I think I just realized they don't have to be like separate. I don't have to wait till I'm old to do this. I don't know that I would try and do ultras right now while I'm also trying to be fast on the road because I do think that would be harder to train for at the same time. So that's why I've kept to like the sub ultra mountain racing because it's a little higher intensity, usually not longer than hour and a half ish to two hours. So it's not crazy. And it, you can still like get a lot of speed and power out of it. So I think that is kind of where I'll stay until I'm ready to fully commit to the longer stuff. But yeah, it's like a little frustrating. It's kind of what you said about the 5k, 10k guys that like can rock it on the track, but then they try and do a steeple and they just don't find success there. And I think a lot of the trail people or a lot of the road people, um, throw shade at the trail people saying that it's easier just where you go to run slow, but they haven't ever run trails before. And I don't think they realize how hard it can be and how technical it is. And it's a whole different skill set. So I think on both sides, but mostly the roadside, they're just a little ignorant, I think, of what trail running actually is and means and how um, talented trail runners actually are. Well, I feel better hearing you say that after all this conversation about getting put out to pasture as an ultra runner. <laughs> <laughs> We've, I've, I've had this debate before with, with some of the coaches here in, in Austin that I run in circles with about uh, whether or not you lose speed going <laughs> to the trail. And because I've bridged kind of the marathon and ultra marathon world over the past five years, both as a coach and an athlete. And there's uh, we're always quibbling about whether or not you, you know, I, I spend time running on the trail and time running on the road and the track. And, and Jason, I think is in this mode too, where there's no reason why you can't focus on developing your speed for part of the season and then spend time kind of mm -hmm. crushing the mountains. And I'm not like running in any mile races or 15 Ks or anything like that. And I don't need to, <laughs> I don't need to worry too much about that, but I think too there's bad. always a focus on like build that speed and it translates well into great performance on the trail. And then what you, what you yeah. get, I think where we separate ourselves and success is building the skills. Like you, you know, you alluded Grayson is that there is definitely some work that you need to do and you're either going to have the technical acumen to become a great trail runner or you're just not. And that, at least mm -hmm. that's what I have seen with athletes that do try to make the transition to trail or just love running trail and, and to see somebody that can run say a, a two 
3240 marathon that is like gingerly stepping over every rock or just yeah. really struggling to like find any speed or rhythm or power and trail is sort of like okay <laughs> they did mm-hmm. not expect that yeah yeah I think um at least for me I don't do trail workouts everything's on the road and the track even leading up to world mountain running championships my final workout was like five by mile on the road pretty fast and then like five by 400. So I think for me, at least I get the most power out of speed. And David Roche has written some pretty good articles related to speed and how that translates to power on on pretty steep climbing, even if you're hiking when you're not like totally running, but it still seems like it translates really well. Well, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say that, you know, Earlier, we talked about, you know, training methods and and being unsuccessful with, you know, how collegiate athletes, you know, oftentimes were burnt out. Well, the perception of, you know, trail running and and specifically even more so with ultra running was that you need to get out there and just run forever and have time on your feet. And it's an it's a competition of eating and and all of this bullshit. And, you know, like it, it. it that's exactly what I fell into. I, you know, I yeah. took my, you know, 220 marathon speed and I, that paid off and I had that, but I got to a point after changing my training to just, you know, mm-hmm. wandering around in the, the flat irons all day and doing long, you know, seven hour long runs, et cetera, that it wasn't sustainable and it, wow. it sucked. And it was like, I was having so much fun, mm-hmm. but you know, to be a successful <laughs> athlete, like you said, with David's program, I, I, you know, I won hard rock and then I found that I was done. Like my, I knew that there was something wrong, uh, when I was running nine minute mile easy runs on kind of rolling terrain, you know, back when I was used to running six forty to seven yeah. pace all the time, you know, at altitude. And it was like, oh shit. Okay. Mm-hmm. I get it. And that's when I came over and worked <laughs> with David yeah. and, you know, realized that there was a marriage there of like working with run economy, working with speed development, running six days a week versus every single day, unless I'm dead. And, you know, that was, that was a big shift. And so it's like a kind of this reflection of, of you are learning, you're you're doing it the right way, Grayson. And I've gone and done all the dumb ways, but yeah, that, that that's a really, really powerful lesson that, you know, still in our sport and in the culture in both, you know, the trail side and the, and the roadside that, you know, we, we, we are finally kind of figuring out some of this stuff in a good way. And there's so much benefit mm-hmm. to, 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 to all the distances, all surfaces to be able to, to understand moderation and then also how you can develop speed so that you can run well in the mountains, sustainably healthy yeah. with great joy and success. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah. Do you have any trail uh, aspirations for, for 2021? Yes, um, I'm super excited. I was I had a whole trail schedule for 2020 that got wiped, obviously. Um, so I'm pretty excited that most of them I have a chance to go back to this year. So I'm hoping to make my European trail debut at Series and all. And then the week before, there's also a trail race beyond Dixon. So they're right in like towns next to each other in Switzerland. And I'm really grateful that the race organizers are 
offering the spot again after a year of hiatus. And then I probably race domestically until uh, World Champs is in November for mountain running in Thailand. So between Switzerland and Thailand, I think I'll just try and hop into some domestic races, maybe Broken Arrow in October. And then I am a big fan of the Cirque Series races. I think for particularly the mountain running, the classic um, distance, they're really great. They're basically the same distance and a lot of vert, really quick, uh, high intensity. And they're just a fun time. I think Julian Carr does a great job of making it feel like a party and fun race. And they typically, there's two in Salt Lake, so that's really convenient for me. And then uh, usually a couple in Colorado and Wyoming and Montana. So I like those. Um, Not a lot of travel, super fun. So I think I'll do that. And then maybe Xterra if that happens. They haven't really said if it will or not, but that was a really fun one to do um, in December, Xterra Trail Run World Championships, just because it's, it's in Hawaii, so uh, you can't pass that up. It's pretty hard to beat running in Hawaii. <laughs> yeah. You know, we you know we had for a while the U.S. Sky Running Series that was, was sponsored by Ultra, and, you know, it was for a year or two, and then it kind of just faded out. And for some reason, in the U.S., the, the kind of sky distance, you know, badass mountain running for, for, you know, you know, for 5k to, you know, 40k just, just has never really kind of done super well besides, you know, Pikes Peak or, you know, the, the Mount Washington, but you know, that's on the road, but Julian Carr like created with that Cirque series, like Mm -hmm. a, 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 an excitement and like, I, you know, I went out and did the a basin run and it was awesome. And it was a unique, like change of culture of like, it was kind of skiers and then some trail guys and gals. And it was kind of like this, (laughs) this mission. It was not like going to trail race at all in my, in my experience in the one race that I did. And, um, I really appreciate that Julian's kind of, you know, COVID happened. And so it kind of, you know, it, we've, we've had to take a break from that, but I hope that that, that mountain running culture can kind of develop and grow here in the U S because athletes like, you know, even yourself or, or Joe, you know, they just don't get, there's not as many events and there's not as much excitement and there's not as much followership. And, you know, you, you guys have to kind of go over to Europe to be respected right. for that kind of distance. And I, I hope that changes. And I, I appreciate Julian yeah. kind of like, you know, spearheading that, 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 that pursuit. Yeah. Yeah. I'm really glad he does it. I'm really glad he's in Salt Lake too. It's really convenient for me. <laughs> so don't even have to leave home and I can race twice. <laughs> awesome. So, um, this is shifting gears totally, but um, you're you are a, um, a a civil engineer. You got an engineering degree, um, and then you are now working mm-hmm. on your master's degree in. Uh, help me if I get this wrong. Sustainable engine engineering or conservation engineering? <clears throat> Could you tell us a little bit about that? Sustainable natural resources. Yeah. Um, so it's my civil engineering degree was pretty aimed at environmental engineering. Um, So looking at hydrology, watersheds, infrastructure engineering, 
Uh, and that was by my own choice. Just I like outdoor things, like I mentioned before. So it was a lot easier to kind of get on board with learning about like, how do we manage water in a city? And how do we build dams? And how do we like look at watersheds and how the hydrology affects us? Um, so then this degree is kind of more of the why behind the how of engineering and looks at why would we want to conserve uh, water, for example, or how do we look at using our natural resources in a sustainable way um, so that we're lowering our carbon footprint and helping with climate action and um, how can we make urban areas more climate sensitive and look at like adding green spaces to cities. So it's been super interesting. It's with Oregon State University. And I'm hoping that after this degree, I'll kind of have a good skill set that is broadly applicable to just environmental engineering and sustainability in general, and then can hopefully go into my dream job would be like making parks and trails in cities and designing cities around green spaces because selfishly, I would love to use the green spaces myself. And then I think it's also a great way to help cities become more sustainable. So that's kind of where I'm going. But I think uh, I've always been very open with my goals because it seems like things change for me a lot. So as long as I get to keep running, I could see that taking a variety of turns to be able to use that goal. But I think too, I'm personally pretty invested in climate action and I'm working with Protect Our Winters to help raise awareness about that too. So it's kind of all wrapped up in a bundle of things, but yeah, it's been a really fun course so far. Grayson, you've talked about getting out of professional running with NAZ Elite and and searching for more, a little more meaning in your life outside mm -hmm. of running. What has that journey been like for you over the almost past two years? And, and do you still struggle with that tension between serving multiple communities and having some sort of pursuit that you feel like, you know, gives you a purpose that is bigger than yourself? Yeah, I, I would say that's almost a daily struggle for me still. Um, I'm a pretty empathetic person and I, I really need things to be fulfilling and meaningful and for me professional running feels pretty selfish a lot of the time so it has taken work for me to get to a place where I'm using it in the platform that I have because of it in a meaningful way and I'm really grateful that my sponsors are so great um, gracious with their money and pay me so much but at times it feels like I shouldn't like I almost don't deserve it because all I'm doing is running fast and I feel like there are a lot of people out there who are working really hard like a construction worker and he's literally building the city and maybe isn't getting paid as much and that's hard for me to kind of rectify so I've been trying to do things with the platform that make it feel more meaningful and can contribute to society in a way that's more than just being like a fast person. Because ultimately the legacy I hope to leave with my life is that I helped people and um, inspired them or helped them change something or do something better or bigger than themselves, not I just ran a couple fast times. 
and then that was kind of it. So it's been hard and it's a balance too because there are a lot of days I don't um, want to really dedicate my whole life to running. I think I came to the sport so late that I've never, I wasn't the kid that was like, I'm going to run in the Olympics. I didn't even know, I probably didn't even watch the running events in the Olympics. So for me to now shift to where that's like a big goal and it's fun, but that's not what my whole life revolves around. And I think I'm never going to be the runner who only does running. I just can't, I don't have like the, I have too much bandwidth to do that. So I have to have my hand in a bunch of different pots to feel like I'm being a good human and doing something with my life. <laughs> That's such an amazing part of, of your story. I've struggled with this a lot. I, I After I left the Marine Corps, I went to college. I went to grad school. I went into the federal civil service. I had this whole idea, this vision of like how I was going to change the world. And it all fell apart. I started working for the U.S. Forest Service and... I, I couldn't affect change from within the federal government. And I went to work in the solar industry and I just got totally burnt out. Corporate America is such a crush. And after working mm -hmm. 60 to 70 hours a week for three years straight, I started working as a race director. My wife and I had been building a business here in Austin and I went full in to to just the running world, running as an athlete, not in any way professionally, but producing races and coaching athletes. And I felt this piece of me that was just missing. Like I was bringing joy and experience to people and I was helping them improve their lives, but I wasn't leaving an imprint on the world in the way that I wanted to, which, which in part I think is tied to the experience of like going to combat and, and being an idealist and seeing the world mm -hmm. in these very different ways. And one of the big things we've worked on as we've rebuilt our business through Run Beyond is trying to connect more with land conservation and helping bring mm -hmm. a conservation ethic to people through the experiences we provide in the outdoor with races. But we've also founded the business as a nonprofit organization so that we can give back to local communities and rather generally throwing our money into Uncle Sam's coffers, we can choose local <laughs> nonprofit organizations to partner with, to raise awareness, to raise money, to bring people out, to help them do things. And um, like you, I want to like build trails all over the world so I can go run on yeah. <laughs> Let's do it. Uh, that's, that's cool. I love it. It's uh, just, a, that's a really inspiring example that you're setting and I, I appreciate it. Oh, thank you. You too. That sounds really interesting. Yeah. You know, it, being a professional runner, you know, it, it's, it's a lot more lonely and, and a, a individual pursuit than I think a lot of people realize. And, and, and I, I, I can see and, and know that you realize that Grace. And it's, mm -hmm. um, it, it's great that we aren't back in the nineties or, you know, early two thousands in that, you know, being an influencer, you know, it's a, it's kind of an ugly word or whatever, but like we have the opportunity to do things that can give back, mm -hmm. you know, with experience, with, you know, you know, with your degrees and with, you know, coaching or, or, or putting on events, like, you know, with, with this run beyond experience stuff and it's it's refreshing and it's good and it, it gives opportunity for a lot of athletes to do something besides mm -hmm. that selfish pursuit of you know while it's inspirational 
you know, it's us just training our body to do something that most people can't do. And, you know, that, that, that to grapple with that is <laughs> it's, it's tough and it's, it's lonely and it, and the money isn't, uh, and being able to run and have fun by ourselves or with mm-hmm. friends every once in a while, it, it just, or travel it, that that's just not enough a lot for, for, for a lot of people. And, uh, you know, it, it, and it's a difficult thing too, because I mean, not every athlete is a, you know, motivated or wants to be an influencer or a changer. And, you know, it, it and that pressure is there mm-hmm. for a lot of people. And, 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 and then sometimes, you know, people that aren't suited for that in being in a position that they're, you know, kind of almost fake or, or it's not, you know, genuine. And so it's, it's almost finding a career mm-hmm. within a career is, is how I, I, I've seen it play out for a lot of athletes. And so yeah. one thing that I, I, I think that, you know, with your work, you know, mm-hmm. with, with uh, Protect Our Winners with POW, and then with your degree, um, I think that that's a, a fantastic uh, path that you're taking. And, and I appreciate that as a, as a fellow athlete, and then also just uh, as a person that's concerned and, and cares about, you know, where our world's going. Thank you, Grace. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's, um, I'm jealous, and but don't, <laughs> I don't um, blame the people or I don't think it's bad about the people that can just run fast and that's all they need to feel like they're doing their job well, because I think I would, I'm kind of jealous sometimes of them, honestly, that that's all they need. But I think it's just kind of individual and it takes creativity to find like how you can fit professional running into your life too. And it doesn't always mean that you're sleeping and breathing, running, um, I think you can like it enough, but you don't have to revolve your whole world around it. Well said. Well said. Grayson, I'll I'll make another uh, change of course here and uh, talk about the mental health advocacy work that you do. And and there are lots of questions here, but I want to hear more about the concept of a brain sprain. yeah, I <laughs> it I heard it first from maybe a sports psych that I had seen a couple of times and it resonated with me because it really is like you sprain your ankle and people have no problem saying, Oh, you need to take time off, ice it, elevate it, compression, rest. Um, it's just like a no brainer and I people really understand what a sprained ankle feels like. A lot of people understand what that means. Um, You wouldn't run on a sprained ankle. You wouldn't run on a broken leg. So I think when it's framed, when mental health, like a a lapse in mental health is framed as a brain sprain, it's easier for people to contextualize like what that means and see it as something important. Because I think if you just say I'm struggling with my mental health, a lot of times that has a stigma attached to it. And I think depending on how you grew up and just the way you've been socialized, that might mean you just suck it up and tuck it away and don't deal with it, um, just shelf it. And that's not, for most people, the healthiest way to be dealing with that stuff. And I think it's more important to realize, oh, you would treat a brain sprain like you would a an ankle sprain you would you need to rest it you need you probably wouldn't ice it but um, the equivalent of icing might be going to therapy for it it's 
something's wrong with it. And so I think, yeah, it's just a good way to kind of get people to realize your brain is part of your body too. And your mental health stuff is just as important as your physical health, uh, especially I would say in endurance sports where I would argue that races are maybe more mental than they are physical. You need to be on mentally, especially for, I would say, ultras. Maybe Jason can chime in with that. But I think that's a huge part of successful racing. And so you need to treat that just as you would your body and treat it well. Have you ever worried about advocating mental health awareness and and mental health care at the at the level of an elite athlete or professional athlete? Have you have you worried about like yeah. optics of sponsorships? No, and I think if anything, to me, it's like I'm going to advocate for this, and if you're a company that doesn't agree with it, I don't want to work with you because you're obviously missing some very human pieces to your company, um, which is why I love working with Saucony because their run for good slogan means mentally and physically. And um, the video they made of me is almost entirely about mental health. And so I love that they're advocating for that and see people as more than just a body. You also have a heart and you also have a brain and you have to take care of those things too. And it's okay to be human and recognize that that's just part of the human experience is you feel these things and sometimes you might feel them in a way that needs to be dealt with so that you can function better but yeah I think overall I've had a really overwhelmingly positive response from sponsors and from just fans about advocating for it which is why I continue to do it I think if I hadn't had such a good response. I probably wouldn't be as outspoken about it, but it's been really fun to see. Like it's like a domino effect. I say something and then you have a hundred people commenting, wow, I feel the same way. And you realize nobody's alone in it. Well, I think the brain sprain slogan, the concept is like a very <clears throat> nice pithy way to capture something that is really important and you know, I talk a lot about total stress load and how as athletes, especially, mm -hmm. but just as people living in life, we have to understand all of the stress compounding on our person. And we talk a lot about recovery from physical stress, but there, I feel like the piece that's always missing in any training book I pick up or conversation I have with somebody is the mental emotional stress that we experience in life. And while our bodies are all unique, our minds are all unique, but also our environmental context is unique for all of us. And thinking about how we take care of ourselves for that, you know, not only makes us a healthier person, but will also make us a better athlete like that. Improving mm -hmm. your mental health, taking care of your mental health, investing in a spending time on it will translate into performance gains and Definitely. whatever your competition is. And running over yeah. yourself when you're experiencing <laughs> those problems is only going to make it worse. Yeah. <laughs> I really appreciate, you know, that, you know, in, in our, in the space of, of athletics, you know, it, it has evolved in this last 20 years to actually be able to have feelings both as an athlete and, you know, be vulnerable and be able to have the space, you know, social media has its negatives and its positives, but mm -hmm. like 
there is a place now for an athlete like yourself or myself to be able to to speak about you know the challenges that are in our life and and you know that mm-hmm. didn't really happen so much besides you know i remember watching the olympics um and every you know they they would always have like a story at the olympics about somebody that had something really difficult that they 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 went through the truth is that almost every athlete yeah. out there has a a compelling story of of you know diversity and, 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 <laughs> and challenge or, or misfortune or unlikely odds. And, you know, the stress that that causes, you know, emotionally and, and, and the stress that, that, you know, builds and creates the person, the athlete that they become, you know, is, is almost universal. And it's a great thing that we are able to, you know, kind of, mm-hmm. di- you know, go into that space now. And I feel that that's a great place for, for athletes to be leaders in, in sharing that. And, you know, after a, a really rough year and a half for myself, you know, to actually talk about some of that stuff is, is been, I've, I've seen the response and I've heard so many people that are say, hey, thank you for sharing this. Thank you for being a male and sharing this. And I have gone through mm-hmm. this and, you know, this, yeah. you know, helps me. And that is, mm-hmm. that's massively valuable and it's, it's great. And it's, um, but it's also difficult too, because, you know, I, I want to be authentic and I want to be genuine and I want to do it, you know, talk and say things for the right reason and, you know, not, you know, be, be a, a person that just, you know, just, just uh, not being genuine, mm-hmm. but it's uh yeah, I really appreciate that we are able to be advocates for 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 that kind of aspect of of our lives, which everybody shares. Yeah, yeah, I think for me, I, I mean, I've commented on some of your posts too, but seeing you share it as my elder and someone that I look up to, and then also a contemporary in the field that we're working in, has been like driven me and motivated me to post more too because I feel like I'm not the only one I'm not alone um there's other people out there too that are going through whatever their shit is and at the end of the day it's stress whatever caused the stress but um, it's just a challenge that we have to work through so it's nice to know other people are working through stuff too and other people might feel also super anxious um and it's not a bad thing. And I'm not the only anxious person in the world. There's other people out there that are just like me. And back to your point, Jason, other Jason, about um, people are just different. I think like some people might be prone to stress fractures, as an example, in running, where I'm prone to mental burnout before I ever get injured. I'm probably going to be mentally burnt out from something. So recognizing that and realizing like, oh, I just, for me, that means I need to be on top of my mental health. And that might mean more off days or more easy days and flexibility in my training. Whereas for the stress fracture person, maybe that means they're cross training more of their days to avoid a lot of that impact. So I think it's just, it's part of like your training and it's okay if my Achilles heel is a mental health thing where someone else it's maybe quite literally their Achilles or their stress fractures, but I think it's important and okay and important to make it okay for people to feel okay about it. What was the catalyst for you to, to connect those dots and to, to figure out your Achilles heel, so to speak? Um, I noticed in college, my senior year, 
I was never injured in college, um, which I feel like was pretty cool. And I, I think a lot of that too is because of soccer and just the background of the strength and multi-directional running made it a lot easier for me to not get injured. But I think by the end of my senior year, I was getting to a point where I was like, wow, I'm just pretty like emotionally drained. I'm not injured per se, but I kind of am because my brain is sprained and I feel like I just need some time away to recoup that emotional energy. And so I didn't actually race. And again, I'm really grateful I had the coach I did because I went to him after NCAAs. I got my indoor qualifying time in December and was like, I don't want to race till the indoor championship. I think I need like the month and a half or two months, not off, but just really like flexible and running when I feel like it, but not forced training because I'm in a kind of a hole mentally right now and emotionally. And I just don't have the energy to be dealing with this. And he was really integral in helping me understand that that was okay and that that was important to my success later on was making sure I was in a good spot mentally and physically so I think the permission to take that time off was a catalyst and I did well after that I um, didn't need to race I think I learned like I can still perform when I'm in a good spot regardless of how racing or training looks perfect on paper that doesn't necessarily mean anything so I think having that coach and that um, validation that that was okay and then seeing firsthand that it worked um, really set me up later for advocating for myself when I would feel that brain sprain come on more frequently probably than others might and so I think too for me that also means I have to take more breaks in between seasons I'm not a person that can train for 12 months out of the year and be okay. I need like, I can go hard for like four or five months and then I probably need a down break or down section because I just like can't emotionally put that much energy into it. So yeah, I've seen that kind of realize it in college, had that validation and then I've continued to see it work in my favor. So I just continue to go with it. So that's been kind of like the, reinforcing process of seeing success come out of it that's great so you as you kind of plan on a macro scale you give yourself the opportunity to take take that time off every year and like focus on yourself mm-hmm. regroup yeah that was that mm-hmm. was a perfect example i mean that 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 is that is so good because i mean so many people have that and and that that keystone of like the mental and emotional mm-hmm. and anxiety side of, you know, preparing for anything in life. I wish I could have had so many athletes, so many people and so many different right. walks can, can benefit from that. Thank you. Mm-hmm. It's hard to tune, tune out um, outside noise and think about what's best for you. Cause a lot of times, even as a, not a professional athlete i think you feel pressure to race or do things for external reasons Um, and you need to find that intrinsic value and then how do you do that the most successful way for you and that might mean that like me you've got let's run boards with a bunch of mean stuff about you on them and mental health stuff but you just have to like tune that out and focus on how you find success and it doesn't have to look like how everyone else finds it. 
that is just a really powerful message to to deliver to the world for me you know the first time i experienced a, a brain sprain in a in a big way and i probably had I had a lot of them before this but the first major <laughs> you know, oh shit moment for me was physical <laughs> manifestations of the mental, emotional stress I was experiencing were so bad that I developed stomach ulcers and a bacterial infection mm -hmm. in the lining of my stomach known as H. pylori, which like rendered me almost useless. And that, that was in the middle of an Iraq deployment and I was working 16 hour days for like five months straight. And at that point I was like, okay, I know every, not everyone is going to get like the pressure of a combat environment and that sort of gauntlet. Yeah. That's a very unique experience. And, and that sort of scales up that experience that, that I would have, would have such dire physical manifestations of that mental, emotional stress. But it, I think that it's happening all the time and it can be hard for us to recognize, you know, it, it happened to me mm -hmm. again as I was working in, in the corporate role and I just went hard, like I didn't give myself space ever to step back and be like, okay, this is why we have vacation. And <laughs> like, <laughs> it is need to take a break from this and kind of back off. And it's a hard lesson to learn. And, you, you know, intuitively you picked up on it, but it's not intuitive for all of us. And it's also, you know, I think a product of if you're not, if you don't come up in an environment where talking about your emotions and your mental health mm -hmm. is an acceptable thing to do, then is it's a skill set you effectively don't grow up with. And then where do you mm -hmm. learn it, right? Well, yeah. I, I learned it through mental health therapy, but that is not a generally like, you know, I mean, I guess I should say it's a sort of taboo thing still in our society. Mm -hmm. And so it's hard to like go there and build that skill. But now I think of it as I have a mental health coach. And I go mm -hmm. and I invest time and money in this thing called mental health. And uh, anyway. So. Yeah. Yeah, I think it, it pays off for sure if you can invest in it. What are your, t your top mental health practices or, or like mindfulness tools that you, you like to engage in on a regular basis? I like to see a therapist in... I don't always see one. It's all, it's kind of like as needed. And sometimes it's a sports psych and sometimes it's a everyday therapist. Cause I think just depending on what I'm dealing with, sometimes it could be more one or the other. Um, but I would say a lot of the time for me, at least anything that is going on in life seeps into sports. If I can figure out the life stuff, mm -hmm. it automatically makes the sports side easier. And then I take medication too, which has been really helpful for me as well. And I think that's another taboo mm -hmm. thing that people don't like to talk about. And I've had even on certain podcasts, I will say, and medication and therapy and meditation, and they cut out the medication part. Like they're scared to put that out there, which I don't really understand because it's been really helpful for me. And uh, my family has a history of mental health issues as well, and I've seen it both help my family and hurt when it's not available or when that person thinks that they can't take it for some reason um, or feels bad for taking it. So I would hate to see that uh, reinforced elsewhere. So I would definitely harp on that. And then I think, too, just the general coping tools of, like, 
listening to my brain and my body and like how am I feeling in daily check-ins and being honest with myself and sometimes that means I have to take a day because I feel like I'm getting close to a brain sprain and I don't want to go down that hole so I just need to take a minute to reset before moving forward and then building a support system has been integral for me too and keeping my family close and uh, being open too. I think part of the support system is just also being vulnerable and talking about it like I am with you guys and how I do on social media because I think um, sometimes it's like eating disorders which I've also dealt with. It lives in silence and darkness so if you can like shine light on it and force yourself to be vulnerable a lot of the times that kind of scares it away and you realize wow a I'm not the only one but b this isn't as big of a deal once I'm talking about it and being open with people yeah I feel like you know when I've when I'm getting the brain sprain uh Grayson I get really in my head and the noise is so loud Mm -hmm. and it's so looping that you know my two outlets like like therapy or for me the the other two that are a little bit more easily you know kind of reached for me is is to just write it down and you know you know i've i've heard so many people talk about journaling and whatever and i'm i'm just a very mm-hmm. anxious intense person that doesn't take very much time to do anything besides you know i i writing something down just doesn't sound it just doesn't jive with my personality but you know, with the the hardest brain sprain that I've ever had in my life, you know, this last year or so, when I wrote it down, just the, just getting out of the loop and just be able to get through the process and really get into more than, than just Mm -hmm. what's right in front of my face. And, and then, you know, through talking with friends, but like that meditation, that writing, that is, that is a way to kind of to kind of make it real, like you said, you know, it's not as bad as I thought, or actually, you know, somebody else can relate and kind of give me some counsel or make me de-escalate. I think that that's a, that's a fantastic way to do it as well that I, that mm-hmm. I found and I'm new to it, but yeah, yeah, it's good, great stuff. Thank you for showing that <laughs> and being yeah, vulnerable like to, to talk yeah. about that and and like you said, um, you know, a lot of people have these stereotypes of and generalizations and, and expectations that you don't talk about it, that you don't mm-hmm. go to a counselor, that, uh, you know, you don't take medication, that you, you know, you're not, you know, you, why do I need to write and, and, and journal that that's that's like something archaic. But in reality, all of those tools are, are massively relevant yeah. and important. I think one of the incredible things is that for athletes like you at your level to show that you're human is less like a beautiful gift to the rest of us. Right. It's uh, there's mm-hmm. almost this expectation that you're like superhuman, superheroes or something like <laughs> that. These super athletes, it's another class of, of human. And it, I think makes you you relatable and it makes a lot of things acceptable for every, for everyone out there that, you know, follows you and looks up to you and, uh, even for yourselves to look up to each other. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Actually, Jason, that's part of why I started making the training logs and planners as journals with the mental health focus was because that was something I started doing as a way to also be less anxious. And I found that writing it, um, once it's on the paper, it's kind of out of your head and you 
stop ruminating on it a little bit and lists also really help me because I think I I'm like, oh my God, I have so many things to do. And I write it down like there's five things to do, Grayson. Like there's not that many to do. (laughs) You're just blowing it out of proportion. So having like a spot where I can put it and then it's like my safe space has been really helpful. Mm -hmm. Perfectly said. And yeah, what a way to execute that and stop that loop of madness. (laughs) This has been awesome. This has been really good. I, I, I appreciate the, the sharing here. And, you know, I, I want to say that, that Grayson, I really appreciate that, you know, I can see that that you really shatter a lot of different, you know, stereotypes and, and you almost don't seem to belong, you know, quote, belong in, you know, the road world. You don't belong in the trail world. <laughs> you don't belong in the gender, you know, engineering world. And to do all of that and, and be in all of those places is really inspirational. And one thing that, uh, you know, I've always appreciated about you and in, in, in our community to be able to do that because there's so much uh, growth to be had by shattering some of those, those generalizations and perceptions. So thank you. Yeah. Thank you for having me. It's a, a pleasure awesome. to blur the line. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I enjoyed um, he- hearing about your story and sharing stories, and and this has been fantastic. For those who maybe d- don't already follow you, and and I, I think there may be still some left out there. Where, where can <laughs> where can folks find you? Where can they follow you? Keep up with all the fun that you're about yeah. to have over the course of 2021. <laughs> yeah, get pumped. Um... My username on Twitter and Instagram is Grayson Grayson. My website is Grayson Grayson. Um, so you can find me on all those platforms. All right. Well, thank you for your time, Grayson. Mm-hmm. We really appreciate it. Awesome. Thank you for having me.